Welcome to Catholic Views. I'm your host, Renee Kranz. On today's show, we will be talking to Father Chuck Simple. He is the pastor at Holy Spirit Parish in Sioux Falls. We're going to be talking about the Holy Family. It'll be the Feast of the Holy Family and about um, his work as Vicar General for the Diocese. First, we have Dr. Chris Bergwald. Yes, ma'am. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. It's actually Christmas now. It is actually Christmas, the Christmas season. It's the 12 days of Christmas and the Christmas octave, as you and I talked about at Ignition. Yes. But that's for another time. Yes. Um, so you mentioned it's the Feast of the Holy Family. Yeah. Uh, the Sunday between Christmas and um, New, Year's New Year's is always the Feast of the Holy Family. So uh, the gospel reading for today, we have... Um, the the narrative, the story of the presentation of the child Jesus in the temple, okay. the uh, fourth joyful mystery of the rosary. Oh, yes. Um, but th- th- so there's a couple details I want to talk about. The reading begins this way, Renee. When, this is Luke uh, chapter two, verses 22 and following. When the days were completed for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they took him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, just as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male that opens the womb shall be consecrated to the Lord and to offer the sacrifice of a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons in accordance with the dictate of the law of the Lord. Um, So do you have any sense of, um, it says it starts when the days were completed for their purification according to the law of Moses. What does that mean, do you think? So Mary and Joseph are taking Jesus up, and this is 40 days after he was born to the temple in Jerusalem. So Bethlehem is, uh, I think it's about, I'm thinking eight miles west of Jerusalem. So they go up to Jerusalem because Jerusalem's on a mountain. Right. So they go up to present um, the child to um, uh, God in the temple, but it references also a purification. I have a thought, but I'm not sure I want to say it. Okay. <laughs> Bill, oh. do you have a thought? I have none. None. <laughs> no. Nothing. So um, after uh, a woman particularly gives birth to a boy, she's considered ritually okay, That impure. was where I thought about going, but I wasn't sure oh, I coward. wanted. I thought I would say it terribly wrong. And <laughs> no, so, yeah, so, so, so by Mosaic law, Mary is considered ritually impure. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, we know that Mary is literally without sin. So right. um, in, in the deepest sense, she is not impure, was never impure, but in a ritual sense. And of course, right. Jewish law did not account at the time for right. immaculate conceptions <laughs> and so on. So, so um, Mary is considered, so she, after this time's over, um, the time for their purification is complete. So she's able to now go. But interestingly. So that take, that's a 40 day deal. Yep. 40 days. But they probably left before the 40 days was up. Uh, it's only eight, eight. eight days. Oh, that's eight hours. true. That's eight, true. eight miles, eight miles. Oh, so, that's, that's no biggie. So, um, but, uh, I walked that to school every morning. <laughs> both ways. <laughs> Uphill. Their purification. When the days were completed for their purification, though. So says. there's something with Joseph too? So some, for some rabbis, they held that anybody who is, um, in contact with the, oh. the woman, uh, uh, close contact with the woman is also richly. So Joseph is also considered, apparently, because Luke says there instead of her. Right. Um, he's also considered. So why am I emphasizing this? So Joseph and Mary, even though Mary is objectively um, pure, 
they both follow the dictates, the precepts of the Mosaic law. Right. They're, they're, fa- they're a faithful Jewish couple. They're each faithful, a faithful Jewish man and a faithful Jewish woman, and they follow the law of the Lord as it's set out. So they go up and they, they make the offering. So the time is complete for the purification, and then they, they offer Jesus um, uh, to the Lord in the temple and to offer the sacrifice of a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Any idea of the significance of, by the way, two turtle doves. What does that, what does that remind you <laughs> of Sounds anything? like a song, <laughs> I Sounds know. Sounds like a song. <laughs> what did the guy in Home Alone, he explained it. The toy, the toy manager, he was like, you can have these two turtle doves. Is that in two or one? That was in two. I, yeah, okay. I've, I've rarely seen two. I know one mm. Anyway. Thank you. Thank you, Bill. <laughs> so in addition to pop culture I was references. I for an answer in there somewhere, but uh, apparently not. My bad. Carry what on. What is the significance of the two turtle doves? Yep. Um, does, is it a symbol of the Holy Spirit, perhaps? Good guess, but no. No, uh, okay. <laughs> no it's, it's the offer. So an offering is to be made, but normally right. the offering is, I think, a young calf. Right. Oh, you knew that. Well, usually in all offerings, it's, it's either a goat or a calf okay. or something right. like okay. that. Two, but but for the poor, they uh, were free to simply offer two turtle doves or what was the other one? Pit, uh, or two young pigeons. Right. So because so so this tells us that no, normally to be a carpenter actually was uh, like you you did pretty well. Like but for class. whatever reason, yeah. <laughs> but for whatever reason. Apparently, Mary and Joseph, and, and maybe it's because in Bethlehem he's having trouble finding. You know, I sure. don't, we don't know. Uh, but Mary and Joseph were. They were considered poor, mm-hmm. Be- so that and that's reflected in this, this, this indirect way that they're offering to 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 the Lord, uh, presenting Jesus in the temple is simply that of two turtle doves or two young pigeons. Okay. So they are, as as one commentary puts it, they're pious and they're poor. They they are the the blessed poor, the anawim, um, of of Jewish culture at the time. A simple, humble couple that offers what they have, what they're called to offer to the Lord, because they are faithful and they're obedient. So I, th- I just think, as we're celebrating um, this this feast ourselves, that's a good witness to us to offer to offer what we can to the Lord, no matter our circumstances. Yeah, perfect timing. All right, thanks, Doctor B. You bet. All right, today in the studio, I have with me Father Chuck Simple. He is the pastor at uh, Holy Spirit Parish in Sioux Falls and also the vicar general for the diocese. How are you, Father Simple? Doing very well. I hope you all had a nice Christmas. Yeah, yeah, this will be just after Christmas. Um, We are on the Sunday, the Feast of the Holy Family, which is what we're going to talk about today. Right. So um, can you first just tell us a little bit about yourself? I know there are some people out in the diocese who don't know who Father Simple is. (laughs) Father Simple is my pastor at Holy Spirit, um, and I knew he'd be great for talking about this this particular topic. So tell us a little bit about yourself, if you would. Yes. Well, I grew up in South Dakota, of course, near Yankton, a little town Mm -hmm. called Tabor, and been ordained since 1978, so I'm on the older style of priests, uh, (laughs) and... uh, and really, been most of my priesthood have been right here in Sioux Falls. Oh. I started at Christ the King Parish and uh, was a full-time teacher at O'Gorman High School for 11 oh, I years. I didn't know that. What did you teach? Well, a variety of things. Okay. Uh, they had. Uh, I started off t- teaching sophomore religion and scripture, and then I moved up to the junior and senior and various electives. And mm. uh, so I was there 11 years before I moved up to South Dakota State, and I was director of the Newman Center at South Dakota State for 
little over four years. Okay. And then I was called back to Sioux Falls to St. Therese Parish. And I was at St. Therese Parish for 10 and a half years. And then I moved to St. Michael's Michael, Parish, I where I was one. there for 11 years. And mm-hmm. now I've been at Holy Spirit the past five and a half years yeah. at Pastor Holy Spirit. It doesn't so. seem like it's been that long. Well, probably for you, but for some <laughs> others, it might seem like it's been it's like quite a while. When are we getting rid of him? <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. So, so yeah, I've been in a, a the vicar general position was actually granted to me by uh, now Archbishop Emeritus Carlson. He oh, okay. just retired from the diocese of St. Louis uh, in July of, of this year. This year, and uh, he was the one that appointed me vicar general in two thousand five. And so I've been vicar general for Bishop Carlson and then Bishop Swain, when he uh, was uh, named our uh, new bishop, um, he uh, was in the sacristy walking out to his ordination to be ordained as a bishop. And he told me, well, you can stay on for a little while. Well, he never removed me (laughs) after 13 years. And then uh, actually in between, Bishop Aquila from the Fargo Diocese at that time, now he's Archbishop of Denver, But Bishop Aquila appointed me to stay as vicar general in the interim about two years before we got Bishop Swain. And then I've been with Bishop DeGroote now uh, since he's been here. Just it'll be a year in February. So. So yeah, it's been it's and been he, quite a journey. I feel like he kind of said the same thing to you, like you can be vicar general for now, and he, you're still here. So. I know. I, I don't think anybody <laughs> wants this job actually. So uh, I don't know. I, uh, yeah, but it's, uh, yeah, I think it's uh, it's been an interesting to work with different bishops, and yeah. uh, but you know we can talk about that if you want well, to, or we can move. Why don't on we take a couple family. minutes real quick? And so, what exactly does a vicar general do? <laughs> Well, I don't it kinda, even know it that. Does, it does vary from diocese to diocese. In our diocese, it's generally been a priest like myself that's had other responsibilities. Some dioceses, especially bigger ones, and sometimes dioceses our size, have full-time vicar generals okay. that really kind of do a lot of the administrative work of the bishop, meaning that they are in the chancery full-time and work with the chancery staff and and kind of become what sometimes is called the moderator of the curia, which means oh, the yeah. the whole structure of the organization of a chancery. Our diocese hasn't had that. It could be something Bishop de Groot will study and sure. look into, but um, they really become the uh, the kind of like vicar means standing in the shoes of, so standing in the shoes of whatever who's ever the bishop, mm-hmm. and so uh, you take on the responsibilities of that, and then. If the bishop is ever some way cannot fulfill his role or is out of the diocese for some reason, and that's a lot different now too because we can stay in communication yeah. so much, yeah. and he can a bishop can stay in communication with whoever he wants to by phone or by his cell phone. So it's it kind of varies. In our diocese, it's been a lot of uh, mainly the the corporate structure. You have a, a kind of like a president, vice president. Mm-hmm. So it's a bishop, vicar general. That's a corporate heads of, of uh, the chancery, of the various corporations in the chancery, and also in the parishes. So sure. it's it has more of a, in our diocese, more of an administrative role than actually a role of trying to do the whole curia right. part of it. So this is why when the press calls and wants to know about something, they say, call Father Simple. <laughs> well, they could say that, yeah. <laughs> if there's the bishop doesn't want to do it, yeah, call Father Simple. Priests. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, good. Well, that explains that pretty well. Thanks for doing that, because I really was, I mean, you're around a lot. You go to a lot of meetings. I'm like, what exactly does yeah, he do? Yeah, what do I do so, running yeah. around here all the time? Yes, yeah. <laughs> he just is here to entertain us every once in a while. Right, right. <laughs> all right, so 
Let's move on to talk about um, this Sunday is the Feast of the Holy Family, um, and it happens right after Christmas, which is interesting. So why did the church set aside this Sunday to honor the Holy Family? Well, I think, you know, it has, uh, because the, the proximity, of course, to Christmas, which just happens, and of course, it can come real quickly, it usually isn't even a week, like in this right. year, it's like right away. And so um, it's set up because... First of all, it's a time of year when a lot of families are together. Mm-hmm. This year might be a bit different just because of the pandemic mm-hmm. and people trying to be careful being who they're around and when they're around people. But generally speaking, it's when families, college kids are home, people are home. And so it's a time when sometimes uh, people can come to church together as a family where they might not have been able to because of just their uh, where they're at and where they're going to school or whatever. So it comes at a good time for that, and right. it's right after. You know, the, the church has to do a lot in a few days because it has the Epiphany, you know, so it has to get a lot of these feasts in. Mm-hmm. And certainly we want to honor because the church has always said the family is the the domestic church, the really where the grassroots church is, is lived out. And so they want to honor the family as soon as they can after the Holy Family, right. which is in Bethlehem with Mary and Joseph and Jesus, but also realizing that in any era, a family has been kind of defined not just a, a nuclear family, like we sometimes try to just think of a husband and a wife and kids. Mm-hmm. We know there's a lot of single families. There's a lot of people that have experienced uh, uh, divorce and sometimes remarriage. And you know, so there's all kinds of family structures. So right. it's, it isn't just trying to focus on uh, just the, the perfect family. And as we know... There was a lot of uh, imperfections, at least, that they had to deal with the Holy mm-hmm. Family right off with the going to Egypt and all the hassles of uh, of uh, trying to uh, get the Christ child uh, safe. And uh, so it it really, it's, it's a way for us to look at our families, which we know aren't perfect. And oftentimes, even as we gather as families, sometimes things can be a little bit tough and there can be differences of opinions and things. And so it helps us to kind of look at the family and how we work things out together, even sometimes in the messiness that happens yeah. in family life. It can definitely be messy, that's for sure. Yeah. It, it does kind of make sense to have it right after Christmas because now this is a new family that's been formed. So right. it makes sense. Yes. Yeah. Um, so you talked a little bit about the domestic church. Can you Kind of expand on that a little bit. What what does that mean for us? How are how are our families connected to the church as a whole? The church is the Catholic Church, and has always been very very influential in saying that most of what we gain in our faith comes from our families. And even at baptism, when when moms and dads bring their little babies into the church to be baptized, we emphasize that the mom and the dad, or if it's a single parent or whatever, that he or she is going to be the primary instructor of this child in faith. Mm -hmm. Because in family life, especially as kids, that's where we spend most of our time. Right. Uh, You may come to church regularly, but most of your time, uh, even if your children before they come to Catholic school or religious education, are influenced by their family. And I think most of the people that deal with developmental issues of our Selves and even our children say that so much happens in those early ages mm-hmm. between zero when they're first born to three or four, where a lot of the ways that that child is going to interact with people and even in the influence that he or she'll have in faith 
is developed in that home at that age. Well, mm-hmm. that age is when they spend most of the time with their mom and dad. Right. And so that becomes where the the church is saying that's really where the beginnings of that child's influence in the way the church is going to be in their lives begins when they're little. And so that's why that domestic or family church is so important and becomes really the way it influences that child and the whole family and the way they develop throughout the years. Yeah. Well, and if you think about the early years with Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus, just the same way parents now will kind of teach their kids about God and Jesus, mm-hmm. surely they taught Jesus about God, just like any family at the time would have and, yes. and the scriptures that they knew then. So that was that's kind of interesting to think about that. He's God, but I mean, he's... He's developing as a normal human would, so he has to learn these things. Yes, and that in those scriptures point that out. Mm-hmm. We have those so-called hidden years of Jesus between twelve and whenever he began his ministry with, with John the Baptist, as we heard during Advent. You know the baptism and things like that. You know, probably when he was thirty or somewhere in that age. So there was quite a gap. But mm-hmm. his early years, we really don't know much about, except for the finding him in the temple, which happens at. And when he's just about a teenager, but before that, there's a lot of time when it, when it says he grew in wisdom mm-hmm. and understanding. And as you said, he would have because he's totally human. And sometimes, you know, we emphasize one or the other, but he was totally human as he was totally God. And so, being a total human being, he would have had many of those same sort of things that most of us grow up trying to learn through our mm-hmm. moms and dads and prayers that we would learn. Uh, Jewish prayers that his mom and dad would have said, uh, going to the Passover like they did, going to Jerusalem for the high feasts and celebrating those in their home, all all would have had an influence on the life of Jesus. Sure. Yeah, yeah. So it's also kind of interesting to think about that Jesus would have been obedient to his human parents, and even though he's God. Mm-hmm. So why was it important for him to be obedient to them? Well, again, you know, that's something that, uh, just like in our own lives, uh, it's how we look at obedience. Sometimes it has kind of a negative effect, (laughs) but obedience can be really, as in Jesus' case, of course, not only to his mom and dad, but to the will of God and to the will what God wanted him to do as he came to the earth as Mm -hmm. the son of God. So obedience isn't so much in a negative fashion for any of us, especially for Jesus, it was meaning how we, he was listening to the call, which sometimes, as we know, the will of God comes to our lives through other people, mm-hmm. through our certainly people closest to us, to our parents and others, where he had an understanding of the will of God that was given to him through his mom and his foster dad, Joseph. Mm-hmm. So that would have been influential in the way he was thinking about things and praying about things. And so, and even, you know, that beautiful canticle that St. Paul writes, that though he was a son of God, he was still obedient Mm -hmm. to what God wanted him to be, and that he didn't take obedience as something in a negative fashion, but really it was an obedience to God's will, which was making him live as fully alive as possible, and we hope we can apply that to our own lives too. Yeah, he really modeled obedience and and humility for us, which is, they're really tied together. Uh, The feature story for the uh, January Bishop's Bulletin is on is about humility and pride and kind of that that struggle that we go through. So Jesus, of course, didn't have to worry about the pride part because he was sinless, but he modeled and reinforced the humility mm-hmm. by what he did with his family. Can you talk about that a little bit? 
Well, again, you know, there was, I'm sure, like in any parent-child relationships, there were things that uh, he had to learn. Mm-hmm. And we he was noted as, even in the scriptures, as the carpenter's son. So there is some indication he might have had some schooling even mm-hmm. in a trade in with his dad, foster dad, Joseph. And then, of course, with that, in anything, when you're working with people, you always have to not only do your own thing, mm-hmm. And which kids sometimes like to do, but you do what you know as you're instructed and as you're learning things. So certainly there was an influence with that. But um, again, it, it, sometimes humility can be like obedience in the negative. But humility, in its roots, uh, root uh, understanding is that it's uh, kind of our the gifts, the talents that mm-hmm. God has gifted each of us with, and to recognize those and to use those. So. Uh, being humble doesn't mean that we hide gifts, just the opposite. Right. It means that we recognize what God has given to us, and we want to share those because we feel that we have to do that because that's just the way we should be as uh, operating under the will of God in our lives. Right. That's a great way to explain that because um, really if you ignore the gifts, you're not you're not being obedient to God at the same time. So, yeah, yeah that's a great way to say that. Um, so... The care that Mary and Joseph gave to Jesus, is that a reflection of how we should care for the body of Christ, which is the church? And I mean, how how does that work? Do we take that right from them? Well, we always hope, you know, they're models for <laughs> us, sure. And, you know, we really, again, in, we don't know a lot about the way they did it. And it was, a, in, the church always operates in different eras, too, or we're uh, in a whole different sort of setting that Mary and Joseph would have been, even in just their way that things happened at that time or the way he grew up or whatever. But again, a lot of things can be applied to the what went on in their lives and how they reacted to it. As we know, Joseph doesn't, we have no written word that he ever spoke, mm-hmm. but we know of his situation, especially with his ability to listen and then make good decisions through his listening. Mm-hmm. And the scriptures say it happened sometimes in his dreams or just in his prayer time when he just knew this is what I have to do, especially early on in, in Jesus' life. And the same with Mary, I would imagine, too. So yeah. um, I think there is something. And, of course, they were probably very centered as a family in prayer. We have that old saying, I you know, that we— used a lot even when I was growing up, and I think still people, the, you know, the family that prays together stays mm-hmm. together. And I think there is a lot to that. And so every family can assortly establish their, how they want to go about that. But I think, you know, there is something to that where families do spend some prayer time together. And sometimes it's hard, I know, especially with the activities that kids are in and parents are in. It's hard to find a, a carve out a time mm-hmm. in family life to do that. But I think if we look at what um, we can model in the Holy Family, that would be a wonderful thing. Even if the uh, not so much the uh, quantity, but quality of time that a family could put together. Sometimes even the way we rush our prayers. I was with the family oh, yeah. <laughs> for supper, and uh, it was kind of neat. They had uh, three children, and uh, various ages. One was actually the oldest was actually in college, and then they had a, a high school and a junior high kid. But it was interesting. Before they ate their meal, 
the dad in, said, and there was something they, the kids were pretty used to doing, so I don't think they just did it because a priest was in the house. They, uh, <laughs> Maybe they practiced it well they, before well, they came. Well, they could have done that. But I mean, they went around and they said, where this was a, a dinner and evening meal, and they went around and said, what was the blessing they felt that day from something that happened in their life? Oh, wow. And it was quite moving. I mean, it was, and, and it, it didn't take real long. I would say it took probably a, less than three, four minutes. But it was, uh, you could see that they, it, because they had done this, the, the, the children had an awareness that that was something that was going to be uh, asked of them. So they were looking at those things in their life right. as they were going through their day. And it was little things like the, one of them, the college kid actually was working and he, he had a job in a, in a store where he was doing retail. And, and of course, uh, there was a, a customer that was kind of obnoxious. And, and he, he was saying how he was able to, by something he just did or something he said that helped that person uh, kind of get through it a bit easier and mm-hmm. and uh, not get so upset about something. So it was little things, but it was very moving how they were seeing how the Lord was acting in their life and how they were being part of witnessing to Christ by what they were doing. So I don't think it has to be something you have to really sit down and say, oh, we got to do all these right. things. But it could be just little things where families can kind of bring that awareness of their faith into the lives of their kids. Yeah, that's really a cool thing. It really helps those kids build an attitude of gratitude. Right. Yeah, and thinking about all the things that God does in their lives. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Well, Father Simple, I wanted to get to a little other other thing that you (laughs) wrote in our um, bulletin this past Sunday. We aren't going to have time to get to that. But what I will tell people, um, what is the website for Holy Spirit Parish? It's just uh, Holy Spirit SF. With the Sioux Falls, yep. so Holy Spirit SF dot org. Dot right? org. Yep. Um, I don't know if this is up there yet, but usually this is on there, right? So yes. if you go and look at the bulletin from this, would have been the what was uh, the date? I think it's the uh, third this, Sunday of Advent. Third Sunday of Advent, right? Um, Father Simple writes on the front of it, and he writes about uh, reframing our kind of our attitude. Mm-hmm. During this pandemic, it's a one. It's really helped me a lot, and I think it's very helpful. It could be very helpful to a lot of people. So go on, check it out, <laughs> read it. Father Simple's like, oh, that's silly, but <laughs> he does, he always has great things that he writes on the front. So if you, whether you go to church there or not, uh, it's kind of good to check out. Thank you. So thanks a lot for being here today, Father Simple. I appreciate you coming. Um, can you give us a quick blessing before sure. we go? All right. Lord God, we ask your blessings upon all the people who will be listening here. We ask you to be with us, especially our families, whatever family we belong to at our current time in life, that the blessings of Almighty God may come upon you, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you so much for being here. You're welcome. You bet. All right. If you aren't already following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, be sure to come follow us. Uh, Keep up with everything that's going on in the diocese. You can also find us on our website at sfcatholic.org, and you can watch these, uh, all of these shows that we produce at the diocese on uh, YouTube, at our YouTube channel at SF Diocese. So I hope you'll join us again next week for more Catholic Views. 